listening to The Real 96 Podcast, a deep dive into all the movies of 1996. Well, most of them, 25 years later. Now here's your host, Nathan Ludwig. Well, hello there. You're back again, I see. You have excellent taste in movie podcasts. If you have returned, I knew you'd come. I knew you'd come for this one. We have a special. Well, they're all special. That's why we're doing them. 1996 was a special year for me, as you already know, if you've been listening to this podcast. But we have a pretty special one because we have an out-of-the-box guest for a film that I have loved for the last 25 years. And that would be Screamers, starring Peter Weller, Jennifer Rubin, and Roy Dupuis. This is just one of my favorite sci-fi horror films from the 90s. Maybe my most favorite. Uh, I've watched it a couple times for this podcast, preparing for it over the last few months. And uh, this movie is so much fun. If you played Doom back in the day, the video game Doom on PC in the 90s, uh, this movie will kind of remind you of Doom. And I, I kind of bring it up in the podcast, but uh, this movie feels like Doom more than the actual movie based on Doom felt like. Uh, you'll get that aesthetic. You'll know what I mean when we get into the film. So Brian Nuri is joining us. Brian is a uh, stalwart genre blast uh, volunteer who's become a dear friend of ours. Uh, our driver, uh, like I said, a volunteer. He helps out a lot with the festival. He's a huge sci-fi nerd. He's a huge Star Trek nerd. We kind of go off into a Star Trek tangent in this uh, show towards the end of the talk. Uh, we'll definitely have him on for Star Trek First Contact, which is a 1996 film. So rejoice for that. That'll be a good one to cover. But uh, me and Brian just uh, shoot the shit about Screamers for about 30, 40 minutes. And it's a ton of fun. This movie is super underrated. If you haven't seen it yet, you've been wary about it. I don't know. This is one, I think it's one of the better Philip K. Dick related films. Um, it's better than Imposter with Gary Sinise. Anything is better than Imposter with Gary Sinise. Bomb in a ribcage meme before memes were a thing with Bomb in a ribcage and Nuke the Fridge. Those were the two big ones. But Bomb in a ribcage rib cage, uh, stuck with me. Uh, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm not spoiling anything for you. The movie sucks. But uh, <laughs> Screamers fantastic film they had they made a sequel it, it wasn't very good uh, but if you haven't seen screamers or you haven't revisited it in a while i highly recommend uh sitting down and checking it out you'll be pleasantly surprised or resurprised to find us on social media we are at real 96 that's r-e-e-l 96 on twitter we are at real 96 podcast on instagram Find us on Facebook, The Real 96 Podcast. And if you want to email us, asking us questions about the show, hey, are you going to do this show? Can I get on the show? Just email us at uh, real96podcast at gmail.com. That's real96podcast at gmail.com. And we're going to try to get to all the scary, spooky, rough stuff of 1996 in this month of October. Uh, we just did From Dust Till Dawn, just dropped that episode, doing Screamers right now. We've got Mary Riley coming up. Remember that one? Uh, we've got tons of stuff. Thinner, uh, Scream, The Craft, The Frighteners, Hellraiser 4. You know, we might even do stuff like Tremors 2 and Children of the Corn 4 and Amityville Dollhouse and... Uh, Jack Frost, The Dentist. Um, there's lots of good horror stuff for 1996. So you will not be without uh, spooky movie talk content with this podcast. So again, 
not going to get too much into uh, any other gushing praise about this movie. You'll find out uh, why this movie is worth watching and why it's so cool coming up right now. And uh, after the talk, I'll be back for a little bit of a postscript, as usual. What's going on, Brian? Hey, nothing uh, much. It's a good Saturday afternoon. Yeah, it is. Not too bad. So you had never seen this movie before. Is that correct? Nope. nope. You had never, never watched it? Never really watched Great White North for any kind of horror movies. Do you ever? Do you remember this movie coming out in 1996? I, I don't think so. I was a, I was a junior in high school. I mean, I was going to the mall. But you didn't have a crush on Peter Weller like most um, men did. Like, like 50 percent of the men on this chat uh, <laughs> right now. Yes. I mean, I liked him in Robocop. Did you like him in Of Unknown Origin? Though that's the real question. You ever seen Un- Of Unknown Origin where he's the rats are in the walls and he goes crazy trying to get all the rats out of the walls. Isn't that a post? I don't know if it's based off of that, but it was an early eighties film with Peter Weller. So, I mean, it's must watch. Well, I guess I'm going to have to burn another four bucks. Mm-hmm. We'll have to do another episode on that. Oh, Did Shannon Tweed's in it. That's hot. There you go. Shannon Tweed. So there you go. Hot. Um, so I really love this movie. I, I watched it when it first came out on VHS back in the day, and uh, I'm re- revisiting it um, on HD a few weeks ago for this podcast. Uh, it, it mostly held up. Um, I mean, it's not it's not a classic, but I think it's a really cool, really well done cult film, like sci-fi horror film that definitely still holds up and has some cool uh, visuals and some ideas. What, what was your first impressions watching this? It threw me off when I first saw it because I couldn't figure out what the opening scene was going to happen or what was going to happen by the end of it. And I, I really like post-apocalyptic stuff where, you know, everything is, is screwed up, but this one kind of, it, it felt familiar, but it did have some odd little turns that it took. Um, and then finding out later that it's written by Philip K. Dick was even better because I love, even though a lot of his adaptations are not always, uh, 100% honest to his his visions, he always has a good start. It seems like they they story and then they just take the basic idea of the story and just run wild with a movie that has very little to do with the with the story, at least in my experience. Right. I mean, this was a good concept to have built around. We have self-replicating robots. In a story, it can work one way on the page, but in a movie... It would probably be a whole lot different if they'd done the exact same thing. Absolutely. So yeah, this one, this one was based off of Second Variety, the short story by Philip K. Dick, and it. I don't. I don't know if I'm gonna if I can do this now, but at least a dozen stories that have been adapted from Philip K. Dick's movies, and oh, yeah. I think this is probably in the top echelon. It's definitely not as bad as like an Imposter with Garrison East or I'm trying to think of another one that was just flat out terrible. I mean, Total Recall is great. Blade Runner is great. Um, what am I missing? There's another big one that I'm missing. Is it um, Payback? Pay- payback. And that one I thought was kind of cool. I liked that one. Scanner Darkly is the one I was thinking of. That's a good one, too. Um, by Richard. Have you seen that one? Oh, a long time ago. Well, one of my actually had a huge crush on Keanu Reeves. So, so the plot of this movie is a little labyrinthine. I don't know what you feel about that, but I thought that the setup for this movie was so much exposition. It's like, 
there's a mining corporation and then there's like this conglomerate of like colonizers and they're having a civil war in deep space over mining rights and and uh mining materials and one side develops these yeah these autonomous killing robots that can you know their different levels can take different shapes and and all the way up to imitating you know humans not to really spoil anything but it's kind of part of the plot and they kind of dig deeper to find out where the hell these robots are coming from these these simulations and um this definitely has as much in common with a horror film as it does a sci-fi film especially towards the end of the film when they kind of make their way facility to try to find out who's still making these machines that are not supposed to still be manufactured um i love the atmosphere of this film right I it's like, got a the thing in it where once you find out that there could potentially be a traitor that looks absolutely. just like the guy who's supposed to be there you get a, of a lot of doom back in the day i played a lot of doom back in the day in the 90s like like every day and Back in the day, I felt like this was the closest thing we ever get to a Doom film. As far as like aesthetic and atmosphere, it felt very much like a Doom game. Mm-hmm. And even more than the Doom movie they made in 2005, I still believe. <laughs> so <laughs> I know, right? Shudder. Um, Peter Weller, man, he, he knows how to deliver in a sci-fi or even just a genre film. I'll watch him in basically anything. And he's kind of the hardened protagonist in this film. He's kind of it all done it all and things get really weird towards the end of this movie but i think he grounds the film very well and it's a really good cast you got jennifer rubin in it who's great and also roy dupuy who who plays kind of the token dickhead asshole and uh there's definitely a lot of elements of the thing like everybody suspects everybody else of being one of these screamers because the final form is taking on the form of a human an adult human so everybody kind of gets becomes paranoid of each other later on in the movie but you know there's all the tropes of the movie there's a guy that doesn't trust anybody there's you know there's the the female you know heroine who's a scrounger a scavenger and you know she kind of survives any way she can and then you know peter weller plays the hardened military guy who's seen it all done it all but even though those are all tropes and they've been done before i think this movie portrays them well i think the acting in this movie is way better than a lot of other films you're going to see on this level yeah yeah because a lot of those a lot of those almost straight to film i wouldn't say this was straight to film or straight to video but a lot of those ones that feel it it felt like these are guys who couldn't cut it in film school so just make a movie and everyone just reads instead of acts and peter weller really on those guys who nails it when he when he has to and on top of philip writing the original story this screenplay was originally written by Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the screenplay for Alien as well as Return of the Living Dead. So this guy is a legend as far as genre filmmaking is concerned. And it looks like there was a rewrite by a man named Miguel Tejada Flores. So I don't know how much of Dan O'Bannon's original, original script exists in this final film, but you can definitely feel his influence, like especially from like Alien. Um, doesn't really have a lot of the humor of Return of the Living Dead, but it definitely feels like definitely pieces of it feel like the guy who wrote alien absolutely and of course it's appropriate that he helped write um total recall too so yep that's right because i would think it'd be really hard to take someone's prose look at it and go what's not uh filmable and then change it yes i I, it's hard to do and it's kind of hard to piece the thing together to see who did what and who wrote there's a, oh did you know a buddy Jason Cavaliers in this movie? Oh um, what movie was he in? 
Um, he was he was in uh, Past and Future Kings. Remember John Blast? Yeah. Um. Really? Yeah. He's oh. in this movie. He plays Leone. I wasn't paying attention to the credits. Yeah. So he's in there. He's he's a John Blast connection. So that was kind of cool. I got to go back and watch it now to see if I recognize him. But he was acting when I was a junior in high school. He was acting when I was a junior in high school too. Yikes. <laughs> Wow, that kind of dates us a little bit for any anyone younger listening. We were we were uh, products of the '90s, I guess, right? The late '80s, early '90s. Yeah, depressing. But we got to watch cool movies like Screamers when they first came out, or I did. You you had to wait twenty years. I didn't. There's a lot of stuff I missed because I was watching other stuff. What were you watching besides Screamers? Come on. I wasn't into horror. I told you that. You're, you're pure by fantasy, right? It well, kind of, sort of back then, but back then I was just mall hopping, you know, whatever movie was in the uh, theater. But you yeah. were more of the the biodome crap. A little bit. <laughs> we should have had you on biodome episode. That was a funny. Uh, I hate that movie. Just to let you know. Oh, I did. <laughs> What's up, buddy? But yeah, I missed. No, the I, didn't, I didn't watch horror movies until I was well into my twenties, and sci-fi was more mainstreamy. And I, that's why I still can't really get into Stargate because the movie was great, but the TV show I always feel it kind of just diluted a lot of it. So the TV show was not as good as the movie. I didn't like it very much. I mean, yes, you had MacGyver on there playing the lead role. But no, I liked the movie a lot better. MacGyver, as much as I like Anderson, he's no Kurt Russell, that's for sure. Yeah, he's no Kurt. He's, he's no Jake Bader either. No. No, not, but no one's James Bader. <laughs> except for James Bader. Yeah, except for Robert California. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, this came out at a weird time. I think, you know, next, you know, we're doing this experiment, the Real 96 podcast, and we're, we're digging through all the movies of 1996, kind of a 25 years later post-mortem. Um, as you would do when you get older, you start to reflect on things from your past, and that's basically what I'm doing with this. And I don't know, I just had good memories of this film. I didn't see it in the theaters. I rented it several times to watch it with my dad. It was, it was one of the movies that we like to watch together a couple times. Um, so that was nice. It's a nice memory. And like I said, when I revisited it, 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 it wasn't, there were scenes that I did not remember. Like the whole middle of the movie, I was like, I don't remember any of this at all. I just remember the beginning and the ending. And uh, it was don't, nice. Don't we do that a lot though? Because when, when, that middle part is kind of, you know, thick. It really is. I was like, I didn't know that they, they were going here, there, and, and it was a lot more going on than I thought. I thought they basically just kind of showed up in the beginning where, you know, Peter Weller's at the base and then they just go try to find the screamers in the facility. But there's like a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of walking going on. There's like, there's a whole bunch of exposition that happens. There's a yeah. walking. And uh, I feel like this would have been better as like a mini series or like a, almost like a T like a limited series kind of show because there was so much exposition, like, and so much backstory in this one story. I feel like if sometimes it can be really hard to adapt that into just one film when there's so much going on in the background. It's either either 
to be a, like a show or you don't have to tell us everything. You know what I mean? But I, I, I think they did a good job of not making exposition scenes expositional where it's obvious that they're recapping or telling you stuff that you'll never know. A lot of stuff comes out just in dribs and drabs ac across the story. And so you get this kind of, you don't really realize that you're, you're learning about the world sometimes because I really ignored part of it until it, Oh wait, didn't he just say something about that? Oh yeah, that is true. That is true. That's a good point. I did like that the world felt lived in, you know, even though you've got a little bit of a dated, you know, special effects technology, I felt like the planet they were on and in kind of the system that we're in, it felt believable as far as like there was this big war and everything's been bombed out and, and on planet, um, it felt believable, you know, even though it was on another planet and they obviously shot it on this planet, but, uh, I let the whole post-apocalyptic on another planet instead of just on our planet where oh. there's, we've already screwed up our world. Now they screwed up another world, like way in the future. So I felt that was believable based on human past human experience. Well, yeah. And this was the, you know, the mid nineties, the wall had already fallen. And so now we were trying to figure out who the big baddies were and it wouldn't have worked if they had used his original script or the original story. Because that was U.S. versus Soviet Union. And mm -hmm. by then it would have been so dated. So, yeah, throwing it onto another planet, now it's it's eternal. There's no deadline on it as to whether or not it has to happen before this date, after this date. So, yeah, we just go up and screw other people people's planets up. Yeah, absolutely. So, so like, like I said, the basic gist for people who haven't seen it, interested in watching it, the basic gist is that there's this mining corporation uh, out there just mining this. Um, it's called, I believe it's called tritium, if I'm correct, right? Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's like this really precious resource. But also the problem is, is that it's also, it can also be extremely radioactive. So when you're mining it, there's a good chance that you'll die <laughs> from radiation sickness. Yay. So this planet, on this new planet, I found a source of the, the material the mineral that's not radioactive so there's, there's this huge rush to go mine there and the mining corporation is in direct conflict with these like former miners and like expatriates who have formed this kind of conglomeration of colonizers and they're basically in direct conflict with each other warring over each other um and trying to take each other basically and um people where peter weller comes in he's part of like the um the expatriates they kind of work for the um back back home on earth to kind of keep the peace against the miners and uh he he set out on a mission to basically uh go to the um go to the opposition's basically headquarters and uh broker a peace treaty basically mm. and what they find out is that these screamers have been unleashed like new versions of screamers like they keep them around to, to keep away the mining colony fuckheads and but they think it's oh it's just these little these little blades in the ground that come up and just tear people apart so they, they just stay at an arm's length from them and they use them as defense against the uh, the other side but what they find out is that there's these new versions of screamers and they're not supposed to be online somebody is making screamers somewhere deep in the bowels of some sort of facility so they go set out to go broker the peace treaty and then stop the screamers. And I liked how it was kind of a multi-layer plot where you're like, 
who is making the screamers and what is going on with the peace treaty. So there was actually, if you've never seen this before or never heard the story, I felt like it was intriguing enough to keep you wanting to watch the film. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It just, because it, there was tension, but it wasn't like on the edge of your seat tension, but you really wanted to know, okay, where are we going? What is this? But not, you know, it wasn't tedious. That was the good thing that, mm -hmm. like you said, there was a lot of scenes of we're walking and we're still walking, but there wasn't, it wasn't a tedious kind of, we need to fill out 90 minutes kind of thing. No, it had I love the cinematography. I love the, you know, the backdrop of, you know, whether they were matte paintings or, you know, uh, the effects that they used to, to kind of show the journey. I thought that the scenery was and the backdrops were excellent um, and it looked really good. It looked like another planet, like I said. So I was along for the ride. I just mm -hmm. felt that a few they were kind of turning to the audience and going, you know, we had the Civil War <laughs> and then yada, 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 where I felt like there was just a few moments where they could have made that a little more subtle. That's true. But one thing that, that kind of rolled in my head for some reason, um, when he got the, the hologram from Earth, I think it was. Yes, from uh, like the Secretary of Defense or something like that. And then, it, and then it cuts out, and then it's like right after that that the uh, uh, transport crashes, right? Yeah, that was a good scene. What I was kind of the the head cannon that I was writing was that that transmission was on its way to being communicated to them and other outposts, mm -hmm. but it got there bef after everything went to hell. Yeah, that, that whole you know delay of time problem where that transport probably shouldn't have been even heading there, but they got the orders. Then all hell broke loose, but they couldn't stop the orders. So, yeah. Well, a bit of a spoiler alert for people who are big on that. We find out that the guy who sends the transmission, I believe he's like the secretary of defense back on earth. He's been dead for a while and they get the transmission. They think he's alive. And then they find out oh, that dude's been dead for a while. So yeah, that actually kind of jives with your headcanon. Like you're saying, maybe that, yeah, message was delayed. Um, because yeah. there's a they, lot of even in history where the order got there after it was relevant. Yeah, and there's a I can't remember. There was a I thought there was a TV show or a movie where it was kind of the same thing of the military is the last people to know anything, and they don't even realize that the war has ended. Mm -hmm. uh, what is well, it? That's is like it? you know, that's like in the Civil War, like for real, like not a movie. Like there was a lot of a lot of Southern forces that thought the war was still going on, like, cause they hadn't been told yet. So it's mm -hmm. not like, it's not like it was instant back then. You had to like, you had to get on a horse and go tell people that the war's over. <laughs> so yeah. there were people still fighting in the swamps and stuff. There are still people fighting the war. But it, and, uh, I think it does mess with people's heads when you watch Star Trek and you see instant communication from one side of the galaxy to the other. And you realize it would never work like that. You couldn't have a awesome. conversation. Yeah. So there's going to be a delay of time. And in that delay of time, a whole lot of stuff could have gone on. Oh, that's, that's what made me remember it. Uh, the episode of Star Trek, the original series with the black and white guys, they've been chasing after each other for so long. They didn't realize that their home world had been destroyed. Yes. I remember that one. So that was the last, uh, they were the last people left of their planet. That was Frank Gorshin. Yes. Good poll, Ryan. But, but that, and he does a lot of that where he makes the, uh, Dick makes a lot of commentary on the pointlessness of a lot of things and militarism. It tends to be one of his themes where, you know, yeah, we, we did this thing, but it has no use. Kind of similar to Rob line too. 
you know, kind of in that vein where it's just the drudgery of being a grunt or being in a military operation kind of, you know. Like Starship Troopers. Yeah, Starship Troopers. Yay. I just watched I just watched that movie the other night. <laughs> yeah, me and a couple of friends were sitting down playing Warhammer and Starship Troopers came on and we realized that the, Yes, I know what you're about to say. It's it's it feels like a Warhammer movie. Yeah, it it steals from the Imperial Guard, but just hey, look, look, we're tens of thousands of useless people. And <laughs> the big bug monsters, the Tyranid army, which I was playing, I was like, Oh, well that's it's a Warhammer movie. Yup. Yeah, the whole society feels like, you know, there's citizens and then there's civilians. Yeah, it feels like Warhammer. I was like, wow, this is this might be the closest we'll ever get to a like a big budget live action Warhammer 40k movie about the Imperial Guard. <laughs> yeah, and about the Imperial Guard, just life sucks. It mm -hmm. looks cool, but it sucks. It's all about the war. That's it. But he's he's got a lot of that about militarism, about technology running amok. Where he he's you know, kind of like the prose version of um, Stan Lee of saying you know yeah we can do this, but if we do do this, things could happen. Humans will inevitably fuck it up somehow. Well, yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> like yeah, this is this is a great idea, but then humans like so it's a bad idea because humans fuck it up. Yeah. Oh boy, isn't that how everything goes, especially in this movie? Where it's like, oh, we'll make these screamers. It sounds like a good idea. No, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> They're terrified. Yeah, let's make self-replicating robots we can't kill. Okay. Yeah, they're basically related landmines that kind of just like like shark fins through the sand, the first version of the screamers. And they, they pop up out of the ground and they go, Arr! and then they tear people apart, which is awesome. But then they find out later on that they can take other shapes, like small children, and use them as decoys to like go inside bunkers to seek shelter and then they just tear, tear everybody apart. And then there's another one where it's like a mechanical dog or, or like some sort of mechanical animal. And then the final version is like doppelgangers basically, which I think is doppelgangers terrify the shit out of me. So like but the I, doppelganger the, ones were model two, right? Model two. Yes. What was model three? Oh, it was the wounded soldier. So models Remember two the, and three were still people. Right, Look, it was the it was the guy laying in the ground going, "Help me, help me, or whatever." Um, okay, so I like, think I might people. That's some devious shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> you just think about that. Oh, I'm going to help this soldier. Oh no, it's a screamer. Never mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I could. I don't know. I must have got them mixed up because I was trying to figure out where where the third model came out of. But I guess I missed that one. I know that there's like five. There's the there's the human. There's the perfect human decoy. There's the wounded soldier. There's like the small like quadrupedal one. There's the one in the sand with the blade. And then there's a the small child. I think those are all the versions. I just don't remember what order they go. Like the scene where they get to the facility where they're supposed to be making it, and they get to like the mess hall and everybody's dead. I think that's a great scene, and it's scary, and it's and it's 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 unsettling, and that's where I really felt like it kicked into Doom territory. If you mm -hmm. play video games, Doom, you, 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 when you see that scene, you're like, wow, this feels like, this feels like right out of Doom. Doom. So I wouldn't be surprised if a little bit of an influence from that because it really felt like that. Like walking into the UAC facility and there's just bodies everywhere. You're just waiting for like a, a zombie to come around the corner. <laughs> yeah. But that's my mileage, you know? Yeah. And you see, back then I wasn't playing a lot of video games. So I think I may have played Doom once. We played Wolfenstein a lot. 
which is effectively the exact same game, but yes, uh, Doom's uh, Doom's grandpappy or Doom's dad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But overall, I mean, I didn't think it was too terribly bad. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, go. I wouldn't go completely crazy and get a screamer's tattoo or anything on it. But I thought it was pretty well done, especially for the time. Special effects were probably a little better than they were in 1995. Yeah, I think for, you know, this was a lower budget sci-fi film. I think the special effects, especially for the Screamers, there's a little bit of stop motion in there. There's a little bit of animatronics. I think it looked pretty good, the amalgamation of everything. I think some of it's still old up. Because around that time, you started seeing some back and forth. I mean, when when did Jurassic Park come out? 1993 this came out in like late 95 early 96 right so jurassic park was kind of the pinnacle and then everyone else had to kind of get up to that level in order to get past mm-hmm. that and i didn't think it was too terribly bad you could see you know that it was obvious sometimes you could see some matte lines around things and oh that was cg but that's because i look for that <laughs> for yeah. that stuff but the average person's not. So yeah, what, what what other movies would you kind of compare this to as far as your repertoire is concerned? Oh boy, I'm in the wrong room for that. Um, <laughs> well, I'm in Starship Troopers because you got that whole highlight you know, connection. Yeah, yeah, that'd be kind of like the, the when the war was actually happening. That would be how everyone would feel, and definitely an alien vibe, especially what in the in the you know the back, the later third where they have no idea what's going on, but there's something lurking around. What I liked about, I read a couple tidbits about this movie. One, one that made me laugh and appreciate Peter Weller even more than I already do is uh, there was an episode uh, of Entertainment Tonight, uh, you know, right after, I think they were visiting the set and they're interviewing Peter Weller and they asked Peter Weller about his character on Screamers and he said, quote, he's paid and turns up and says the lines. That's all. And from then, from then on, there was no more coverage of that film. <laughs> well, I mean, some people can just be a little too, too brief for the for the press. Too brief, yeah. He's a private person, so he does not do a lot of interviews. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Who 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 um who else do you know that does that? I think it's only Peter Weller. You know. No, no. Anyone? Harrison Ford does it too. He. Harrison Ford's kind of in on the joke, though, point where he okay, yeah, he, he knows that he's a grumpy old man, and he plays he into it. So, um, just don't ask him about Star Wars, right? Yeah, yeah. What was <laughs> like being on Star Wars? I got paid. Oh, so here this answers one of my questions. Daniel Bannon was working on the screenplay for Screamers as early as 1981, um, and the October 10th '84 draft credits Michael Campus as a co-writer. So it is unknown whether Michael Campus also intended to direct. So Daniel Bennett had been working on this for quite a while. Um, it was one of his babies. And then I believe it was kind of taken over after he was not part of the, the shoot anymore. And they kind of did a little bit of a rewrite. I don't, like I said, I don't know how much of it was rewritten from Daniel Bennett's original script, but the movie is not, not bad at all. So uh, maybe not a lot. Maybe it was just a, a slight touch up. So uh, take that as advice, guys. No matter how long you work on that script, one day you're going to get it. And also for you Soundgarden fans, Peter Weller listened to Soundgarden's Fell on Black Days to drown out the sound of, of the set. <laughs> so when he's, you know, when he's listening to music, that's what he's listening to is Soundgarden. So there you go. That's a, that's a little Soundgarden trivia for you. And that's pretty good taste in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, he, he sounds like the kind of guy who would be up on current uh, music, but also 
okay, I'm here. Let's get this done. So mm-hmm. like, ironic then when you think about that scene where they got ambushed because the idiot was listening to his headphones. Yes. Yes. The, the, uh, the guy who crash lands on the shuttle and uh, he kind of goes on the journey, the sharpshooter. He's kind of a whiny little fella. So he was the fourth character that kind of makes up that whole group along with Jennifer Rubin and Roy Dupuy and Peter Weller. Um, overall, I think that this movie holds up mostly, probably about 90% of it. And I, I would recommend it to people who really love genres, especially specifically um, sci-fi horror films. And if you get a chance to revisit it, you can get it on streaming. Um, I think it's just had a deluxe version of the Blu-ray just came out a few years ago, and you can get it on DVD. It's not a hard movie to find if you want to watch it. And uh, it comes recommended for me, especially if you want to wallow in the days of 1996 and kind of feel that 90s sci-fi horror goodness. This is perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I Like I said, I've really, I've really enjoyed it, and I don't know how I missed it. Yes. I don't know how you missed it either, because I, when I suggested this movie, for you to do with me, I thought you would, would have definitely have seen it once, and you, you said no, and I said, what? Are you lying? Well, you know, sometimes. Sometimes. Lion eyes. Is that an evil in your lion eyes? Man, I've had a really hard day. Can you please turn the eagles off? <laughs> with that non sequitur, I think we're going to wrap this up. Uh, like I said, um, Screamers was released in early 1996. It kind of premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 95, but I do not count film festivals as release dates. I count the box office as a release date. Uh, so it was released in the 26th of January, 96, right at the end of January. The dumping grounds for films didn't make a lot of money. Uh, let's see how much it made. The box office for this film, it was a $20 million film, and its budget was, um, its box office was $5.7 million. So it did not make any money. It was probably in the dollar theaters in you know February, which is not not a bad thing. I used to love the dollar theater. I miss the dollar theater. I do too, sir. I do too. Our dollar theater in Winchester was awesome because you know how most theaters for a long time they were long and narrow, and the screen was on the narrow wall. Oh yeah. Ours was on the wide wall, so there was no bad seat in the entire theater. Wow, you had a nice dollar theater. Yeah, usually dollar yeah. theaters just like a shoebox. <laughs> I mean, it really was. It wasn't more than maybe ten rows deep, but because the screen was so wide, you really had no option but to be looking. Your entire visual field was stuck on the screen, and loads of us used to wait for movies. And I saw, I saw a Stopper my mom was twice in a dollar theater. Oh my god, why? And I also saw Star Trek Six in a dollar theater. Okay, that's. We, we can we can counteract that. It cancels each other out, right? Well, no, it just completely overwipes the uh, the other one because Star Trek Six is just a, it's a damn legend. I mean, it's good, but is it Wrath of Khan good? No, but it's it definitely sticks to the to the even rule, and it's right up there with Voyage Home because they both had their their quirkiness, but Voyage Home was kind of more of a fun. This is our, our you know, uh, possible farewell. Because every movie in the Star Trek franchise was the last movie. Yeah. But they were kind of like, okay, this is our send-off. And then let's get one more. Let's get one more. But I think Star Trek VI really pounded it home to end that franchise. I'm glad they didn't end it on Part Five. The only reason that Part Five is any good is it's the first legitimate cuss words spoken on Star Trek. 
Love it. Love a good cuss word in a Star Trek. Here, here, here's a here's a weird one for you. Turn on the closed captioning at the beginning of Star Trek Six when they're being court-martialed, and some guy in the background, because you know how background actors are supposed to just you know sit, you know watermelon, watermelon, whatever it is. Yeah. Some guy just screams, uh, yells out, "You pompous ass!" And it pops up on the closed captioning. <laughs> <laughs> what? You, you can't hear it, but you can read it. Somebody's really good at lip reading and put that in there. My Latin teacher told us about it. You're supposed to just mime the words like you're having a real conversation. I think you're not even supposed to say something unless it's really, really low, like whisper, whisper, whisper. But you're really just supposed to mouth the words to whatever you're doing because they don't want your sound to pick up. Whatever. You pompous ass. I'm going to have to go back and watch that. Now you've got me giving me something else to do. Thanks a lot, Brian. No problem. Hey, it's not like you have anything to do. You know, you only have two kids. You only have a life. Come on. I'm just, I'm just sitting around here waiting for shit to happen. So thank you for joining me on this journey back to 1996 and sci-fi horror goodness, Brian. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for having me out. We'll, uh, we'll do have to do this again. You can pick the movie next time. Just take a look at the movies of 1996 and tell me what you want to do. Did Star Trek V come out in 1996? No. <laughs> no. First Contact, did You want to do First Contact? Eh. Oh, come on. That's like one of the well, best Star Trek movies. Okay. That's the best Next Generation Star Trek movie. I just still always have the massive problem with time travel. And doing two movies in a row with time travel being the solution to the problem. You're not okay with time travel, but you're okay with the concept of the Borg? I love the Borg. I mean, come on. Let's we'll talk about but, <laughs> but time travel is always such it's it's way overused. Star Trek, unfortunately, that's three movies now. No, one, two, three. Up to that point, three of the Star Trek movies relied on time travel as a plot point. And you're you're okay with the holodeck just magically turning lethal? Like they can just switch that on to deadly? Like why that, is that a setting? That was always <laughs> canon. That's was always that always canon? canon? Seriously, yeah. why though? No. Because if you reenacted something weird, you didn't want to be actually physically wounded. My biggest problem was why is it? No, that- no, 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 I'm saying why, why, why did they turn the holodeck like you can kill people with holodeck items like in the real world? Probably like that Matrix thing where if you die in the Matrix, you die in the real world. It's your whole yeah. brain working harder. Some iffy science there, but whatever. It's still a good movie. <laughs> yeah, no, I. I you know, it's got the Borg, which is awesome. But then the the one major thing that I hate, it sets up the worst episode of Star Trek Enterprise in the entire series. And that's a lot. But it's got James Cromwell in it. That makes everything better, right? It does have James Cromwell. That is true. But they use that, epi- that movie to set up the Borg being discovered by um, the, the crew of the Enterprise pre- Kirk to mm-hmm. shove the Borg into a failing TV series. Well, I don't know about all that, but I, with, on that note, before we get too deep into Star Trek First Con and before Star we get, Trek Enterprise, yeah. we're going to have to say bye before Brian, before Brian gets mad. Before Brian gets nerd mad. Um, thank you, Brian, for being on here. We'll see you again on the Real 96 podcast. Say goodbye. Goodbye. And we're back, just like that. How'd you like it? Did it make you want to see Screamers? If it didn't, then I guess we didn't do our job. But I'm here to tell you again, if you haven't seen Screamers, 
go check it out. You can get it on DVD. As I said, you can get it on streaming, Vudu, Amazon, anywhere. It's, it's not a hard movie to find whatsoever. I think it's one of the hidden gems of 1996. Uh, I think it's one of the hidden gems of the 90s uh, as far as genre films go. And with that said, uh, we are going to head out. Like I said, we're at Real 96 Podcast on Instagram. We are at 96 Real on Twitter. We are uh, real96podcast at gmail.com via email, and you can find us on Facebook. We've got a Facebook page called The Real 96 Podcast. And that's it. Uh, Questions, comments, threats, or donations, you can contact us. We're not hard to find. And, uh, you know, for Nathan D. Ludwig, I'm The Real 96 Podcast. Long live 1996. You've been listening to The Real 96 Podcast, recorded in the bustling metropolis of Midlothian, Virginia. This show is a Genre Blast production. Now go watch a movie.